Fred Denham make your way this direction. He's going to be sharing in our sermon series this summer, which I have put up here, hashtag unceasing. Everyone say unceasing. Hey, I'm just curious, how many of you here use social media? I mean, in some form or fashion. I'm looking at hands. I'm, all right, so... Hey, would you make me a, a quick promise? This will be easy to do. That sometime this week in your social media, would you hashtag unceasing? Will you do that? Facebook, Twitter, Instagram? Hashtag unceasing. Maybe put a testimony down there. Maybe, maybe God has done something. Maybe something in the sermon that will be shared with us today. There's a nugget that God spoke to you about. Just post it, testify to it, hashtag unceasing, and let's let some unsuspecting person follow that hashtag and let God work in their life. How about it? Amen? Bishop, we're excited about you, about what you're going to share. So come on up to the sacred desk and let us know what God has on his heart this week. Amen. Thank you, Pastor. Hallelujah. Well, I, I sure hope the Lord has something on his heart. I hate to stand up here and look like I don't have anything. So if the Lord's got it, we'll get it. If the Lord doesn't have it, I'm going to be embarrassed. Somebody say amen. We're talking about prayer, aren't we? I can't help but to think of that prolific declaration the pastor made Tuesday night. Concerning prayer, I need to write that down so I won't ever forget that. For those of you who were not here and to hear that prolific comment, here it is. Most of us have to have our behind in a sling before we pray. Did I quote you correct on that? <laughs> and it's true. Well, hallelujah. And I, you know, I'm, I want to say again, I'm in a personal revival. After our 21 days of prayer and fasting, the Lord put some things in my mind and my heart that I felt were very important for me to do. How many of you know the Lord asked you to do some things? And so he said, do this and seek me in this way again and see what I'll do. And so it's been four months now. And uh, I've been doing what he said that I should be doing. And I can testify today that he's now doing some things that he only he can do in my heart, in my mind. Amen? So we're talking about prayer. And uh, listen, the, the pastor stirred me up this past Sunday by talking about Isaiah 56. For those of you who don't know, this is my book on the city church. My unabridged. Probably for some people unreadable, but anyhow. So I was all stirred up. I, you know, this past Sunday when he was preaching about 50, Isaiah 56, I got to clapping real hard and I found myself the only one clapping. And I thought about, I feel like getting up and running around this place, but if I do that now, everybody probably faint. So I didn't get up and run. But anyhow, I was excited and stirred by Isaiah 56. So I want you to, to turn there, if you will, with me. 
Isaiah 56. And let's look at that one more time. Are you on your computers? I don't hear any pages. These computers make me nervous. I finally got me a smartphone, and I feel so smart now with that phone. Now I can sit around and do this. <laughs> In Isaiah 56, to refresh our memory, Pastor Kevin was in Matthew 21, Jesus referencing this and it being referenced to him. Isaiah 56, let's, let's begin reading with verse 7. Even them I will bring in my holy mountain and make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices will be accepted on my altar for my house. Somebody say, my house. My house. Shall be called a house of prayer for all nations. Now what I want to announce to you is that I'm going to review something with you that you've already heard me talk about, but I want to talk about it again because I am convinced that you'll need to hear it probably about another 20 or 30 times before you'll understand what I'm saying. Not because you're hard at getting the understanding, but sometimes I'm hard at saying it <clears throat> or difficult saying but I want to talk just for a few more moments about what I believe is, is this reference, this passage references when he talks about the house of prayer. <clears throat> he's literally not talking about this house, but he's talking about this house. See, I've become convinced that there's only one house in our city, <clears throat> and it's not defined by city limit signs. It's not defined by mayors of that particular jurisdiction. It's defined by God himself, the city church of Charleston. And this is the house of prayer that he's talking about. God wants us to be the house of prayer. Now, the good news of what's happening now over the last little while is Pastor Kevin has grabbed a hold of something that's been revolutionary and revelational to his heart and mind concerning the mosaic, that we are a part of the mosaic. And I believe that's a good way to put it. <clears throat> and I also believe that we are seed. I believe that we are a seed of that revelation. And the only way seed is multiplied is by dying, being planted and dying, as it were, before it can bring forth anything in bud. Amen? <clears throat> so... We're still about this thing about City Church. I want you to know, for those of you who don't know me, I see some faces that are not familiar. <clears throat> this has been the message that I've been preaching now in this city alone for the last 43 years. I believe it's been 43 years. Yes, it's been four, July 14th will be 43 years as a pastor. <clears throat> So I'm not just coming up with a message this morning. This is my life's message. This is what I believe is the last frontier. 
This is what I believe must come to pass before the end can come. <clears throat> that we'll see city churches arising throughout our nation and throughout the world. Some places already have them. I can tell you this, and as I thought about the fact that you spoke of Seoul, Korea, Pastor Kevin, <clears throat> excuse my throat, folks. Uh, Dr. Paul Youngi Cho, now called David Cho, laid his hands on a bunch of us back in the 80s to impart city church growth or church growth. Were you, you weren't there then, were you, Pastor Kevin? You just come on board. I remember you about, what, 86? 89. But Dr. Cho laid hands on me. He's the pastor and still, I believe, is, is known as the pastor of the largest church in the world. He, uh, his membership, I think you said now, is over 800,000. But now here's the untold story. <clears throat> Dr. Cho has given more members away than most of us will ever have. He has given as many as 30,000 members on one occasion to go start another church in another part of the city of Seoul, Korea, or outside of that city. <clears throat> Excuse me. Are you there? Yeah, okay. <clears throat> so, this is stirring my heart afresh because I believe that God is wanting to do that in our city. And, I, and, and listen, I just want to make a declaration once again good, bad, or indifferent, agree or disagree, I'll make it anyhow. I believe the Spirit of the Lord has come upon Pastor Kevin to carry this ball. Some of you say amen or say oh me. Yeah. And, and, and I'll say this at the beginning. I was going to say it at the end. But I can tell you, <clears throat> when Moses showed up, nobody was excited. When Elijah showed up, nobody was excited. <clears throat> when David showed up, there were very few that were excited, if any, when it comes right down to it. When Jesus showed up, a lot of people were not excited. But I can tell you this, they were appointed by God. And God was excited. And God took time to show himself strong in behalf of these men. And so I can tell you the same thing still remains true. It takes time. And the Lord has, has amazed me how much time he takes. I think he ought to speed things up, but when I start thinking he ought to speed things up, it seems he, slow things, he slows things down. So, so anyhow, so Brother Kevin... Pastor Kevin, if anybody doesn't hear this message this morning, this is for you, brother. No, I'm just kidding. But I believe you'll hear it because I, I'm, I'm, I'm looking at Isaiah 56 and I'm reminded of this one more time. Before, before I read this one more time, turn back to Joel chapter 3. Let me show you something. Bear with me, folks, if you don't know, I'm an old man, and I understand that now. I used to think I was an old man at 48, but now I know I'm an old man at a little over 48. But in Joel chapter 2, are you there? 
verse 28 says, It shall come to pass after that I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. <clears throat> your old men, that's me, shall dream dreams. Your young men shall see visions. And also on my maidservants and my on my men servants and maidservants, I will pour out my spirit in those days. I'll show wonders in the heavens and in the earth, blood and fire, pillars of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the coming of the great and awesome day of the Lord. I want to keep reading that because we're looking for that kind of church ministry. We're looking for that stuff to happen in the church. And not only in this gathering, but in the house of the Lord. We're looking for that. Amen? And just in case you don't reference it later, let me say this. Reference chapter 3, verse 10. And I'll talk about that a little bit later. Are you there? Joel chapter 3. Let the weak... Say, I am strong. That is not saying deny your weakness. It's saying let the weak say, I am strong. What we're going to learn to do in prayer is to say what God said. I can tell you this, and, and don't get mad with me, but I'll tell you. You're not praying until you say what God says. I like what somebody said. God doesn't agree with you. He agrees with Himself. And so I want to put, make, put that in record. See, when, you say, when, the, when, when what the Word of God says, let the weak say, I'm strong... It's not saying that you're denying anything. It's saying you're declaring what He said to say. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Now, turn back to Isaiah 56. Just so you can be at, be at that location because I'll read a little bit later some things there. Our reference for you in Joel, which I believe is supposed to be what's happening today, how many of you know Acts chapter 2 has already happened? Acts chapter 2, the Spirit of the Lord was poured out. The Spirit of the Lord came and He's not gone back. And, 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 and Jesus said this. He said something that's real peculiar sounding if, if you don't understand the triune God. He said that the Holy Spirit proceeds. John chapter 15, verse 26. He proceeds from the Father. You know what that means? That means that every born-again Christian has the right, when you receive Jesus to have the Holy Spirit come in the fullness of His power in you just as much as He is in anybody else in the body of Christ. He comes. The same Holy Spirit in whom dwells all the fullness of the Godhead spiritually. Why do you say that? Because the Bible said 
the Bible says about Jesus, he said about himself, he said, I proceeded from the Father. And the Bible says in Colossians chapter 2 that in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Now, I hope you've added this up. There's only two parts of the Godhead who proceeded. The Son, the Word of God, the Word that became flesh, proceeded, and the Holy Spirit proceeds. God is still in the business of that happening. Amen? When you receive Jesus, John chapter 1 says, when you receive Jesus, of His fullness you've received. And then what it says in verse 16, and grace for grace. You know what that says to me? Everyone in here this morning has received the fullness of Jesus and are candidates to be filled with the fullness. Now, I believe, according to the Scriptures, don't have time to preach it all, but I believe that, that really exceeds the, even the baptism in the Holy Spirit. I believe that you talk about a, subject, a, a following experience. That is a following experience. And I don't know that we've seen much of that yet. But what we're talking about, the outpouring, is God wants, us, wants to see that in the earth. Let, let's, let's rehearse what something. 1 John chapter 5, verse 7. If your Bible, your computer Bible even doesn't have it, get rid of it. Or just use it for a study Bible for reference because I don't like folks leaving out Scripture. 1 John chapter 5, verse 7 says that there are three who bear witness in heaven. The Father, the Word, and the Holy Spirit. And these three are one. He said in that verse, he said, there are three who bear witness, where? In heaven. Jesus said in Acts chapter 1, he said, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, when you, when you receive the baptism in the Holy Spirit, what did he say you're going to be? He said you're going to be witnesses. Not about me, but unto me. You will be witnesses. And here I remind you again something I've told you before and tell you again, that the witness he's, re he's making reference to is the oneness of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. The witness that is in heaven, he wants in the earth. And for that witness to take place in the earth, the church, the house of God, the house of the Lord, the house of prayer must be filled with His glory. For that to come forth, we have very little acquaintance with that. We've only just very, just minutely touched it. In the first hundred years, I believe, of the church, that was very prevalent. Because there was no such thing as permitting division. You had apostles that put down their foot about stuff like that. No division. Sort of like divorce, you know. No divorce. Murder, maybe. No divorce. <laughs> I sat at the table for week after week with pastors that I didn't like, and they didn't like me. And we argued and debated points of interest that we disagreed on, fought like brothers, and went to lunch together afterward. 
You know, it wasn't the fact that we would hang out together or go play golf together or go fishing together. Some of them I just didn't want to hang out with. But now when it came to fellowshipping around the Word of God, I was commanded to do that. Submitting one to another in the fear of the Lord, and it's in that context God teaches us. And in the, Now without that context, you'll not be taught. You'll remain ignorant. You may think you know something, but you won't know something as you ought to know it. That's what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 8. Remember he said that? He said, you don't yet know what you, what you, how you're going to know. He said, knowledge puffs up. What does love do? Builds up. Edifies. And so the fullness, and the point I'm, I'm making a point. The point I'm making is, is to be filled with the fullness of the Lord, I believe is a fullness of, that really Jesus spoke about in John chapter 7 when He said, Out of your belly will flow rivers of living water. Out of your belly will flow. Can you imagine what would happen if we had a bunch of apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers, fivefold ministry with the river of God out of their belly flowing? What this house of the Lord could look like? That's those are the kind of things you need to pause and think about that. A vision. What's in the way? I think pastor's message, let us know that in the passage in Matthew 21, let us know that. What stands in the way is the business of quote-unquote the church. The merchandise of the church. You don't, it doesn't have to be physical to be merchandised. You can merchandise the anointing. You can merchandise the Word. You can merchandise churchianity. I'm not mad with anybody. I'm just going to let pastor here now. Sometimes when I get excited, I'll get louder. Yeah. Not mad. As a matter of fact, I'm old enough now not to be mad. When I used to be much younger, I'd get mad easy. Because I not only wanted to be right, I wanted to... to correct you and get you straightened out. I had the anointing of straightening out. My wife's been with me 43 years. She can say amen. She knows it. And I invariably find myself falling away to that again sometimes. Sometimes we all, we'll all do that. Amen. It awakens us once again just to know that in the flesh is no good thing. So, hallelujah, just say praise God. Yeah. There I go again. Forgive me, Lord. And what does He do? He forgives. Thank God for that. So what was I talking about? I don't know, but it was good. Praise God. <laughs> Merchandising is true, yeah. Now listen, before I go any further, I want to... I wanna, Put this in context why I'm, why I'm stirred about it again. Old men shall dream dreams. Did we read that a while ago? When I was 48 years old, I didn't know that I was an old man then, but I was an old man, 48. I had a dream. And I had that dream in the context of us brethren being together for two years. 
We began in 1993, the first of 93, when this was the end of 94, so it had almost been two years. And we were getting ready to, after two years of fellowship, five of us, we were going to have a foot washing. And uh, as you might know, probably the only people that wash feet anymore are the Free Will Baptists. Did you know that? Nazarene wash feet? Some, some, some parts of the body do the wash feet. But for us, we didn't wash feet. But we were challenged by the Lord to wash one another's feet according to the Scriptures in John chapter 13. Remember when Jesus washed the disciples' feet? Came to Peter, you know what Peter said to him? You're not going to wash my feet. You know why he said that? Because he was so puffed up with the reality that he was a part of a clan that had the upcoming king the rising king, and he didn't want him to be doing that kind of stuff. That didn't look good for the king to be doing that. What did Jesus say to him? He said, if I don't wash your feet, you don't have part with me. Now, I'd love to talk about that. There's a lot right there. But... And so we, washed, we were getting ready to wash one another's feet. I'm putting this in the context. And the night before that service... I had a dream, and I dreamed this very quickly. I want to give you a long story, make it short like Ed tried to do. He tried to make his story short. I was on a control tower, an air traffic control tower, standing behind a seat that was empty. I looked down at the, at, at the radar, and on that radar there was a dot, and I knew that that dot was representative in my dream of a jet that needed to get landed. Somebody said, won't you sit down in this seat and land that jet? I said, I'm not trained to do that. I don't know how to do that. And I resisted and resisted until finally by just humiliation. I sat down because, I, you know, people can talk into things. So I sat down. Well, what's, you know, what, what will it hurt? I sat, I sat down and the jet landed. And when the jet landed, I remember distinctly in my dreams as it was landing on this, on this runway there were trees on both sides of the runway and the, and the wings were hitting the trees as it was landing. And uh, in the dream, I heard Flight 56. Flight 56. When I shared the dream with the brethren the, the next day, they said, we believe that that jet was representative of the glory of God. And the glory was going to be landing, and he was just using me as a symbol of in terms of men giving themselves to that ministry for the glory of God to come, for the glory of God to fill the earth, for the glory of God to fill the church. And they interpreted that. It's not just me. There were those prophets there among those five. They interpreted those trees to represent the resistance of the body of Christ concerning this message. And so we, we embraced that. I said, well, what, is, what, is, what does Flight 56 mean? Well, nobody knew what Flight 56 was. Long story short, a year later, two or three of us decided that we were going to go to Toronto for the outpouring of the Spirit was, that was there. How many of you heard of Toronto and the outpouring? Most of you have. But there was a great outpouring in Toronto, Canada that was miraculous. Joel chapter 2 was happening. There were signs and wonders and miracles. I mean, there was just crazy stuff happening in the Spirit. 
we had been experiencing that here in our own house. And so we went to Toronto to see if they had what we had, and you know, we had what they had. Heard of Pensacola, right? We went to Pensacola as well to see what they, if they had what we had, and we went to see if we had what they had. And thank God we all had the same thing. But this is what's important, and this is what my point. On my flight to Toronto, I was looking for Flight 56. I was looking for the number of the jet. You know, jets are numbered. They're, they're, they, they're not only flights are numbered, the jets are numbered. And so I kept looking for the, for the 56, 56. And I never saw it going, never saw it coming back. But when we were getting ready to board another jet in Atlanta to come to Charleston, right before... My behind that was in my sling, <laughs> just that's free. Hope, hope you hit the seat literally before, right before I hit the seat. The Lord spoke to me and said, How many books in the Bible have 56 chapters or more? Well, I said, Boy, you know, I believe only two. Isn't that right? Only Isaiah and Psalms have 56 chapters or more. And so I wanted to get to my Bible. As a matter of fact, I wanted to get my Bible so bad it was in the, uh, uh, above, you know, in the cargo there. I made a nuisance of myself that air, the, I think the steward, airline stewardess almost threw me off the jet. She got so irritated with me. I was trying to get my Bible. I wanted to see. I wanted to check it out real quick. And sure enough, I brought it down and looked and read that Isaiah 56 passage. But I want you to see this as well because and I'll make this very short. Look at Psalm 56. What I'm not telling you today, and I hope to tell you over the next two or three years that we're together, maybe ten years or whatever, who knows, because you're going to hear this again. After a while, I hope you'll be able to tell me this story. You see for Psalm 56? Now let me say this before we read this. In 1990, I had a personal revival that began on September the 1st. I started September the 1st. By the end of October, I was in a personal revival that res resulted from my reading the Bible an hour every day. I came to that commitment because I heard you could read the Bible through in 80 hours at pulpit speed. And I thought, boy, that's not bad. E every 80 days, I could read the Bible through. So I committed myself to that process and as a result came into a personal revival, reading the Word of God, and continued that way for, many, for years and years, and continued that way to this day, by the way. And uh, so that, that's what's important about Psalm 56. So the Lord said, said to me, Isaiah 56 is for the church, I, Psalm 56 is for you. Are you now in Psalm 56? Look at verse 10. Well, actually, verse 3 said, Whenever I am afraid, I will trust in you. In God, I will praise His Word. Confirmed. In God, I put my trust. I'll not fear what can flesh do to me. Verse 10, you see there? In God, I will praise His Word. In the Lord, I will praise His Word. I, I haven't seen that throughout the whole of the Psalms. But there it said it three, four, four times. In God I have put my trust, I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? It's very important because now this is what you don't know of the testimony. 
We were, we were being told we were of the devil when the, when the Holy Spirit was poured out. Isn't it amazing? Read the book of Acts chapter 2. They were calling them of the devil too. They were confused. They were mocking them. This is important for me to say because actually I believe it's come to pass. When the Lord came like He did when He poured His Spirit out in our house, the Lord said to me this. He asked me a question. He said, are you willing for me to tear your church up so I can build mine? Ah. Uh-huh. Some of you don't look too excited about that. I was excited about it because I was thinking, now, Lord, if you can build your church by tearing mine up, have at it. And I, he, he meant that literally. I thought it was figuratively. I thought we were on our way. I thought, man, man, this house is full of glory. Great day. God's moving. This is it. This is it which the, which the prophet spoke about. The Spirit of the Lord has come. No turning back. And what I've come to find out is that was just a foretaste. For us in this city, I believe it was the former rain. Anybody with me? See, the Lord's not finished with our city. The Lord is raising up witnesses in our city, testimonies in our city. And the Lord, I believe, I'll, just, I'll say this once again this morning. I hope it doesn't put any pressure on Pastor Kevin. The Lord sends prophets. This morning, I'm speaking to you prophetically. I'm speaking to you as a prophet. I believe I know of which I speak. The Lord has given me dreams, and I'm just sharing this little bit of a dream with you now to tell you, I believe it has reality checked to it. It's not some hope so, maybe so. I believe it's the Lord saying, I will so. Amen? As I used to tell my people, say amen. I get lonely up here sometimes. So, now turn back to Isaiah 56. I just wanted to verify that Psalm 56 was my personal word, and Isaiah 56 is the church word, house of, the house of, of prayer. Now, here's what I want you to see. Again, this is, for, this is not for criticism, but for a reality check. The devil hates the glory of God. The devil hates the children of God. The devil hates his appointed day when his doom is coming. He may be stupid enough to believe that not to believe that. But I believe while you are declaring that today, we'll declare it, declare it as well. His day's coming. He will be cast into the lake of fire, which will burn forever. And he'll be tormented forever and ever and ever. And they that want to follow the devil, the sad commentary is they'll be cast in there as well. Somebody says, that's a very tough message. Well, don't complain to me. That's God's word. It's a tough word, but it's God's word. Let me give you, this is a little, for instance, I hope it helps you out, help me out one day. How many of you know God is, is defined as a consuming fire? Let me tell you this. You see, the reality is this. If you're not in God, you're outside of God. 
So everything outside of God is being put to fire. Everything inside of God is being put to rest and at peace forever. May I say this is apologetic for God, and you can't apologize for God, but I'll try my best. He can't help how we end up by our choices, by our choosing, by our will. He had to prepare a place ultimately for all that would rebel. How many of you know that hell, the lake of fire, was not prepared for us? It was prepared for the devil and his angels. But for those that will follow the devil and will not follow Jesus, that's where they're going to end up, in the lake of fire. My grandson, one of my oldest grandsons, he'll soon be 10 years old in December. He's been one of the most thoughtful of our grands in terms of thinking. He's quite a thinker. He and I were together by ourselves the other day while the family was doing some other things and some other parts of whatever. And in our course of our conversation, he looked at me and he said, Papa, am I going to heaven? I'd already prayed with him to receive Jesus a long time ago. But he asked that inquiring question, will I go to heaven? You know what I told him? The same thing I tell you. If you follow Jesus, you can follow Jesus right on into heaven, son. Isn't that a good answer? Never forget the young man. Remember Tom Kite, the great golfer? His, da- his son works out at Stono. David Kite's his name. I said to David, I need to hear your testimony sometime, Dave. Finally, after a long time, we, he was standing behind the counter. I said, man, I'll never get to hear it. Come on, give me, give me your testimony. He said, well, okay. He went to the University of South Carolina. He said, my first year of college, this is a short story, my first year of college, I decided to follow Jesus. He didn't say, my first year of college, I got born again, I received Jesus, I made Him the Lord of my life. He didn't say any of that. He said, I decided to follow Jesus. Remember what Jesus said to the folks that came after Him? He said, follow me. I will make you to become. Aren't you glad he said that? See, you, you can be assured this morning that if you've decided to follow Jesus, he'll make you to become what's necessary for you to follow him right on into heaven. Somebody said, well, that doesn't leave me a lot of confidence. You're not supposed to have confidence in yourself. You're supposed to have confidence in who you're following. The assurance is in him. He's the faithful one. If you're trusting in your faithfulness, you're already, already in terrible shape. And we've all done it. Don't anybody look at me real sanctimonious in here. We've all done it. We've all trusted in ourselves. And that's why it's good to know the Word of God and you can say to the Lord, Lord, you began a good work in me. You will finish it. Lord, you will perfect what concerns me. You will never leave me nor forsake me. You're with me always to the end of the world. You, Lord, are my refuge and my fortress. You are my shield, exceeding great reward. You, Lord. And you'll hear the amen. That's what his name is, you know, amen. You'll hear an amen. He'll say amen because he hears his word, what you're saying. 
when you say that to him. What time did I start? I don't even remember. How long have I been going, Pastor? Tell the story, eh, Brian? I remember I used to have a fellow in our, our church years ago. I'd be preaching, and all of a sudden somewhere he'd invariably say, Tell the story. <laughs> so I've been trying to tell the story. Are you back in Isaiah 56? Let me just show you this because you may not read it later, and I want you to see it. In verse 10, now listen, let me tell you something about this outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Now, I haven't said much about that, but this outpouring of the Holy Spirit we had here in 1995 that continued, almost not water, that continued for about two years, a little over two years, we were tangibly walking into the Lord in those days. Fire alarms were going off in our building. Water was falling from the ceiling. It was the rain of, of the Lord. I mean, we're talking physical crazy. People lying on the floor feeling the wind of God and nothing's running. The wind is blowing. People smelling the aroma of God, the aroma of heaven. It was, it was crazy. I remember right after the outpouring, we were headed home one day. And my wife and I decided we want to hear a prophecy that was given during the service. And we turned, we put the tape in the tape player and we started listening to it. And all we heard before the prophecies was some things like this. I said, my land, Janet, sounds like a jungle there. People were being so overcome they couldn't help it. They were being moved upon in such powerful ways they couldn't help it. Things were being solicited. See, that's why I developed a doctrine, by the way, that I've, I've tried to teach us. I developed a doctrine that feelings can come from the Spirit of God as well as come from your flesh. Emotions can come from the Spirit of God as well as from your flesh. As a matter of fact, I'm convinced that feelings come from your flesh and from your spirit, and you choose which ones are going to control you. Amen? God is very emotional, but thank God He doesn't live by His emotions. And so I learned that during the outpouring that God's emotional because He did some things emotionally through me that really just amazed me. But that as it may, I'm not here to preach that this morning. But great things were happening. I said that to say this. We were having people in those days barking like dogs. Now that didn't go over very well. Well, listen, I can tell you something. Even in my own thinking, I'm thinking, why do you need to bark like a dog? We had people crowing like roosters, roaring like lions. Sound like a jungle to me. Somebody said, well, why would the Lord do that? Here's what we conclude about this. Because some of you look like you're a little puzzled. Here's what we concluded about stuff like that. We believe that finally what the conclusion was, that God was insulting our minds to get to our hearts. He was insulting our intellect to get to our hearts. Why should you think it's strange? He used a jackass to talk to Balaam. He used a rooster to talk to, to Peter. So why should we think stuff like that's strange? A good place to say amen. So anyhow, this is why these next verses mean a lot to me. As I read them, sitting on that jet. His watchmen are blind... Are you there in verse 10? 
56, chapter 56, Isaiah. They're all ignorant. That, this, this is a sad commentary. I'm not, I'm not finding fault. They're all dumb dogs. They cannot bark. <laughs> I read that and I thought, Lord, you are really something. You are declaring that they can't bark, which is all they needed to do was just bark. When your dog, when you come home and your dog's glad, dog's glad to see you, what, what does he do? If he's a barking dog, he probably will bark. Amen? Hey, by the way, I'm going to pick up on what Pastor Kevin's talking about. We, we must be converted. You didn't know you were talking about this in this context. But you were talking about the little dog being excited to see you. As a, as, as a witness of prayer, how, how we should become, when we should become that way. Well, that's really what Jesus meant when he said, except you be converted and become as little children. He didn't say become childish. He said become as little children. Amen. I heard Andre say something about that the other day. It's true, not childish, but become as little children. What will little children do, especially when they're about two years old, if they're able to walk and they can say dad, dad. Probably up to four or five years old. They, they run to daddy when he comes home. Amen? Glad to see him. Man, I mean, nothing else matters. I'm just glad to see I believe that's what he's talking about. Except you be converted. So I'll put an extra C in your, in your outline there. I hope you don't mind me making an addition. Because I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm persuaded of this. God is the convictor. God is the convincer. And God is the converter. You better be glad for that because you can't convert yourself. You can't convict yourself, you can't convince yourself, and you can't convert yourself. And it, but except you be converted, you cannot enter the kingdom of God and become as little children. You cannot enter the kingdom of God. What is the kingdom of God? The kingdom of God is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. The kingdom of God is all about the Holy Spirit making clear and making very obvious to us who Jesus is. Why was the Holy Spirit sent? He was sent to talk about Jesus. He wasn't sent to talk about Himself. He was sent to be the teacher. To teach what? To teach about Jesus. Why did Jesus come? He didn't come to talk about Himself. He came to talk about the Father. The only time He talked about Himself was He was talking about something that put the Father in glory and magnified the Father. Amen? That's true. Hallelujah. And so He goes on to say here, let me just read the rest of this. Sleeping, lying down, loving to slumber. Yes, they are greedy dogs. Greedy. Commercial. Competitive. Which never have enough. They are shepherds who cannot understand. They have no understanding because they can't be taught by God. When you grieve the Holy Spirit and quench the Holy Spirit, you have no teacher. You know what happens when somebody gets grieved and... and, and uh, what's the other word I used? Grieved. I just, what do I just use? My mind does that sometimes to me, folks. Pause for the cause. Grieve the Holy Spirit and quench the Holy Spirit. Yeah. When you do that and you're in a relationship, in a husband-wife relationship, in a friendship, what happens? I'll tell you what happens. They shut up. There's no talking. And that's when you ask the question, what's wrong? And that's when they say, nothing. 
there you have witness to the fact that there is really something wrong. So when you grieve and quench the Holy Spirit, He shuts up. And I'm saying that, I say that respectfully and reverently. He's the teacher. And so if He is not speaking, who's teaching? See? So that's why they don't understand. They all look to their own way, everyone for his own gain and from his own territory. Now, I was really serious about my time a while ago. Turn, turn to Mark chapter 4, excuse me, chapter 11. Because I, I don't have time. Here, here's what I trust. I, I, I'm going to tell you this. And I'm, not, I'm not just being facetious. I'm being very truthful. I trust Pastor Kevin to really lay it all out because I'll be all over the woods. But Brother Kevin, God's used him to get us in a pathway and take us through the woods. Sometimes you'll wonder, where's Brother Denham? I don't know. He went to some part of the woods we can't see him. <laughs> oh, Jesus. I used to have people say, I really enjoyed that. I wanted to say, well, what was it you enjoyed? And basically what they would say was, I don't know, but it felt good. <laughs> but in Mark chapter 11, I want to read this little passage to you and conclude some with these thoughts as best I can. Jesus answered and said to them, have faith in God. Now we're going to get back to something here that has to do with, let the weak say, I'm strong. Remember that? Joel 3, 10. Now here's, here's the witness of Jesus that that's the way to pray. Let, let me say this to you. This, here, here's another thing. Uh, let, another witness to my being an old man. Nine years ago I had a dream. We were getting ready to start a ministry downtown for outreach into the inner city. And a few days before that, all that happened, or a few days maybe after it happened, I forget exactly if it was before or after. I had a dream, Pastor Kevin, I dreamed about a passage of Scripture. I never had done that in the approximately 40 years that I've been preaching. But I had a dream about a passage of Scripture. And when I dreamed, I dreamed about this passage of Scripture. And I thought I knew what this passage of Scripture said, but as a result of that dream, I went back and studied it afresh. And really just devoured it for a, for a good season. And what I discovered at that time was something that I hadn't seen. Verse 23 said, For assuredly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, Be removed and be cast into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that those things which he... King James, what does King James say there? Saith. will be done, he will have whatever he says. So the word saith, is translated in the King James, saith, and this, listen, I got, I want you to know this, this is interesting and it's sort of disturbing too, to a certain extent. In my old Strong's Concordance, saith, the word is listed. But when I came to my new, brand new Strong's Concordance, saith was not even listed. And I'm thinking, that's one of the greatest words that you need to find out. For those of you who have a strong concordance, by the way, they're in both the new and the old one. The number is 3,004. This word that we want to understand what it means. 
to get a hold of this. I hope you do, because I'm still getting a hold of it. I feel like I've fallen away from it, and I'm getting back to it. You understand what I'm saying? Thank God for the 40 days of prayer and fasting. The word there that's translated saith comes from the Greek word lego. Remember that, Pastor? And then it says, the word means to lay forth. By way of comparison, figuratively, relate in words, relate in words, and then it says in parentheses this, usually of systematic or set discourse. Thus we have declaration. Thus we do the Apostles' Creed. Thus when the Lord Jesus was tempted by the devil, He didn't give Him some philosophical answer. What did Jesus give the devil when He was tempted by the devil? It is written. The devil had assaulted Jesus as, as if, He said, If you are the Son of God. Have you ever heard that in your own heart and mind? If you are a, son of, if you are a child of God. What should be your answer to the devil? It is written. This is the word. I have received Jesus as my Lord. Of His fullness I have received and grace for grace. The law came by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. His grace is all I have need of. His ability is all I have need of. His DNA is all I have need of. His divine nature ability is all I have need of. I'm trusting in what He said. Listen, that's been my struggle if, ever since I gave my life to the Lord. I'll confess this to, this to you. I was in Bible school quoting 1 John 5, 11 through 13. Remember what that says? He who has the Son has life. Who does not have the Son of God does not have life. These things I have spoken unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God that you may know. And I said, Lord, you said you may know you have eternal life. So if I stand before you, on that day, before I get a real good witness going on inside, I'm going to say this to you. I trusted what you said. Now see, the devil is still coming to get what God said out of your heart. The devil is still coming for the Word. He could care less about you, but he's coming for the Word that's in you. That's why he doesn't want you to be here and gathered together under the man of God, hearing the Word of God, because he, the devil is out to get it. He's out to keep you from it. He knows if you get it, he's in trouble. He's got another one saying to him, It is written, and I say unto you, I say, I am strong, because the Word of God says that the weak say I'm strong. And there's never been anybody weaker than myself, so I'm going to say I'm strong in the power of His might. I'm going to say with the Apostle Paul, When I am weak, then I am strong. I will therefore glory in my weakness that the power of God may rest upon me. Hallelujah. Folks, that's what prayer is about. I've just come to tell you, when Jesus said, have faith in God, He just simply said, have the faith of God. That can also be translated that, isn't that correct? Have the faith of God. Everybody in here that's been born again, you have the faith of God. Everybody raise your hand and wave at me. You just attested. You have the faith of God. The faith of God is a spirit. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 13. We having the same spirit of faith, therefore we believe, therefore we speak. We believe, therefore we speak. 
And Pastor Kevin's been really driving that home to us. Speak it. Speak it. Say it. Declare it. Claim it. This is not grab, blab it and grab it and claim it and name it, whatever. This is not... We're talking about the spiritual context. We're talking about spiritual warfare. This is the warfare of God. Listen, forgive me. I got a little excited. My wife and I did something this past week everybody ought to do. You ought to watch the warrior room. The war room. It's a warrior room too. How many of you have seen the movie The War Room? How many of you know you need to watch it again? We, we cried a second time as well, so it's... That little lady was warring with the Word of God. Second Corinthians chapter 2, verse 11 says, Lest Satan should take advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. Well, I tell you, the devil's done a good job of convincing us we're pretty smart in the church. I was so glad to hear the testimony of Pastor Kevin talking about a pastor that he knew intimately in the church situation he knew intimately. And that pastor, pastor of a, of a church of thousands, was repenting before his congregation that he had let go of biblical words and would not say biblical words because they were offensive to the natural mind. And he didn't want to offend the natural mind. But in his repentance, he's come back and now he's preaching Bible words like redemption, sanctification, covenant, yeah. These Bible words. You can't improve on the Bible, folks. We wrestle against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual wickedness in the heavenly places. Our enemy is the devil. Our enemy is not a who's across the, the driveway. Our enemy is not the one who's around the corner down the street. It's not among the Roman Catholics or the Lutherans. We may have some differing opinion, but we're not their enemy. They're not our enemy. Our enemy is the devil himself. And so we're going to have to fight this enemy with spiritual warfare. Amen? That's, what we're, that's really what we're ultimately talking about here. Ephesians 6, 13 and 16. Therefore take up the whole armor of God. We quoted that this morning, I believe. Above all, taking the shield of the faith. Don't have time to develop that, and I won't. But the faith, that's you and me. Everybody say, I, I am a part of the household of the faith. You are. We're one. The Holy Spirit has joined us together. We are one body. We are one spirit. Hallelujah. Read one or two more of these. Galatians 6.10, the household of the faith. That's what I quoted. 1 Timothy 4.1. And look, look at this. Here's, this is important. The Spirit expressly says that in latter times some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. The only thing you have to replace the spirit of, of the faith with the Word of God with is doctrines of demons and devils. There's no middle ground, folks. I don't care how smart it sounds, it's a doctrine of a devil, a doctrine of a demon, if it contradicts the Word of God. If it runs counter to the Word of God, it's a doctrine of a devil or of a demon. So our warfare is with that devil and that demon. You can argue with people till the cows come home, but you're not going to argue them out of a position. Only the Lord's going to be able to convince them 
through conviction and conversion will He bring them about. That's the only way it's going to happen. You might as well be sweet to them. Amen? I don't mean you can't be firm, but you've got to be sweet. Somebody say amen. You've got to be sweet. Oh, Jesus. Oh, Lord, give me permission, I pray, for this one time not to be sweet. <laughs> right? We want to pray that way sometimes. Forgive me for what I'm about to do. <laughs> Vengeance is mine, saith Fred. Aren't we, uh, we don't, don't we all find ourselves there invariably? And who does that hurt? You. You can't carry that load. Now, here's my last conclusion, Diane. Colossians chapter 2. Turn there. By the way, when that mountain, just, just for your theology's sake, that mountain is an authority that's standing in your way. It thinks its authority is greater than the authority of the Word of God. That's what the mountain is. If you see something standing in your way that acts like it's bigger than the Word of God, you say, get out of the way! Be removed! Cast into the sea! Well, I don't see anything different. That's not what you're looking for. You're looking to agree with God. God agrees with you and He says, I'm on board taking care of it. Amen. Colossians chapter 2, you there? Verse 13 and 14. Here's what we say to the devil. He, I have been delivered from the power of darkness. I'm personalizing. You see that? You personalize it. I've, been, I've become a partaker of the inheritance of the, of the, that's in the saints and the light. He's delivered me from the power of darkness and conveyed me into the kingdom of the Son of His love. I've been transferred. I'm living in the realm of the kingdom. Somebody, well, why do you pray the kingdom come? Because the kingdom has come. Because the kingdom has come, it's coming. That's why we pray the kingdom come. So I said, I don't need to pray the kingdom come. Well, that's not what the Bible said. Jesus said, pray the kingdom come. Well, the kingdom's already come. Well, that's why you can pray kingdom come, because it's already come. Does that make any sense to anybody? I'm not talking double talk. The Bible says He's already chosen us before the foundation of the world. You know what that means? We can choose Him. If He's chosen us already, Wally, then we can choose Him. But if He hasn't chosen us, we could choose all day and wouldn't make any difference. If the kingdom hadn't already come, we could pray to the cows come home, the kingdom come, but it never would come. But Jesus told His disciples, He said, I'm not going to drink this fruit of the vine with you until, I, until the kingdom of God comes. Remember that? And after He was raised from the dead, He drank with them and He ate with them, didn't He? Yes. All right, verse 21. Here I'm finishing. This is it, guys. 21 through 23. And you who once were alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now He has reconciled in the body of His flesh through death to present you holy and blameless and above reproach in His sight. That, that's one of the most amazing verses I've ever read. And I've said to the Lord invariably, You can present me holy and blameless and above reproach in your sight if I continue in the faith. Isn't that what it says? 
grounded and steadfast and not moved away from the hope of the gospel which we have heard. Lord, you're going to present me that way, present me that way to you. You're going to do it. Well, that relieves a lot of pressure, doesn't it, Jamie? Man, the pressure's off. Follow me. I'll make you to become. I said, all right, Lord, you got a real problem, and that problem is me. Start to work. Because I'm not going to quit on you because I know you're not going to quit on me. And I know if I don't quit, I'll finish. I'll finish my race. I'll finish my course. I'll be able by your grace to keep the faith. Hallelujah. It's what God says. Reinforce what your life, your soul, your spirit, your body with what God says. And when you think you don't know how to pray, memorize a scripture or two and just wear it out. Somebody says, what do you mean? That's what I've been doing for years. That's how I have so many scriptures memorized because I've been replying them to myself. Everybody stand up. I'm finished.